Good afternoon, Memorial Baptist friends and family, and welcome back to our midweek edition of our podcast for June 17th, 2020. I hope everyone had a very blessed Lord's Day this past Sunday. I mean, what a great day it truly was as we gathered with our church family and set aside some time for worshiping our Lord together. I was so blessed to be with y'all. We sang uh, some songs and, and really had a great time. Our worship team did a great job leading us in worship. Our church family participated and sang with such enthusiasm. I'm so looking forward to our meeting again at Memorial this uh, Sunday, uh, June 21st at 1045. We're also planning to receive the Lord's Supper uh, this Sunday morning, so I uh, hope to see you there this Sunday. Um, We are continuing to monitor and evaluate our community and the area as we seek to reopen other aspects of our ministry at Memorial. Our deacons and leadership uh, will meet again on June 23rd, this next Tuesday, and discuss moving into phase three of our plan to reopen. We will, uh, that plan, that part of the plan will include connect groups and uh, meeting in person, our Wednesday evening activities coming back to meeting at the church. Um, there may be an abbreviated time. It may be an hour instead of an hour and a half, but we'll figure that out. Uh, things like Team Kids and Established Youth and College Ministry and our midweek service. Uh, we will not be able to have uh, nursery or child care at that time, and food service will not be happening. Uh, we anticipate returning to our family evening, uh, excuse me, our Wednesday evening family supper um, when we move into phase four of our plan. As we have said before, if you have questions or concerns, please call us. I know this isn't easy for any of us, and we're trying to do our best to keep our people and our most vulnerable ones safe as we open up slowly and cautiously. Uh, Again, if you have questions or concerns, please call us. You know, as we see this move to open up businesses and restaurants and churches all across our nation, I believe that it would be a most kind and polite action if our body would extend grace to each other concerning masks, social distancing, and other protocols. I believe that each of us should assess our our risk individually and in relation to our own families. Please exercise the freedom and good sense to do what you need to do, extending grace to others as they do the same. And um, again, if, if you're uncomfortable Um, meeting with people who may or may not be wearing masks, then stay home and watch online. If you're okay with risking that and coming out, please come and worship with us. Um, But we each one need to be able to individually um, assess our risk and be able to use the good sense God gave us to to do what we need to do uh, for us personally. So, uh, just exercise grace in that, and 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 uh, for those, um, you know, who choose to to meet, or those who don't choose to meet, or those who choose to social distance or not social distance, um, there's plenty of grace. Um, and I, I just I know that it's difficult for all of us. Now, before we jump into our scripture passage for this afternoon which is a fantastic passage, by the way. I I would like us to pray together, and and if you would, I would like for you to pray with me while I, I lead us in prayer. Almighty God and everlasting Father, 
I just want to thank you for being God. I want to thank you for being uh, our Lord, our Master. Uh, Father, you are holy, you are righteous, um, you are pure. Um, Father, you are love. And we recognize that we need you. I just want to thank you so much for being our God. Um, I want to thank you for Jesus Christ and um, what he did on the cross for each one of us. Um, Father, I want to thank you for the, the Holy Spirit who lives within and guides us and convicts us of all truth. Father, I want to thank you for the families, um, that you put us in families, uh, that we have brothers and sisters, that we have moms and dads and, and uh, individuals and grandkids and others that, that we can love on and walk the journey with. And I just thank you so much for our church family. Uh, Father, it seems there's so much going on in so many different families, uh, just tragedy and, and illness and other things, Father. So I just pray that, that you would uh, show yourself mighty in our families, uh, Father, that you would bind men and women's hearts together as husband and wife, that as they look to you for leadership, Father, that you would bind them together with cords that cannot be broken. Um, Father, I thank you for the, the health and the healing that takes place in the name of Jesus. Um, Father, I, I, I just want to lift up some people to you. I, I know that uh, there are many in our body who are hurting. There are many who are struggling. Um, Father, I, I just want to lift up Dr. Bridges to you. I pray that you would bless her. And, and uh, Father, even as she uh, misses her husband, Bobby, I pray that you would bless her, that you would continue to strengthen her, and, Father, that you would give her sweet rest. Uh, Father, I pray for Bill Blankenship, um, my brother. I pray that you would just touch his life, Father, that you would uh, help the, the blood clot to, to go away, to disappear, have, give the doctors wisdom in what they need to do. And I just ask, Father, that you would continue um, to take up Bill's cause, Father, that you would just help him through this difficult time. Be with Don, be with their children and grandchildren. I lift up the Morehouse family to you. I lift up Christy, and I pray, Father, that you would um, be with her in a special way during this time. I pray for Anthony. I pray for their children. I pray for their parents. I ask, Father, that you would just be in and through all of that, and, Father, that you would receive glory for how you are going to bring about the healing in Christy's life. And I pray, Father, that you would just push back the, uh, the, the sickness. I pray, Father, that you would... Um, allow her to uh, uh, to feel good and to be with her children and to love her family, uh, Father. But uh, she just wants to give you praise and glory for what you're going to do. So uh, we are trusting you, Father. We know that you are more than able. And uh, Father, I want to lift up uh, John Webb and his grandson Jacob to you. I know the last week or so, it, and it's been a crazy week, and he's had surgery on his spine and other things. And I just ask, Father, that you would bring healing to his body. Father, that this young man who has honored you has, has been um, a, a mouthpiece for you, and, and, and I know that he's, his uh, FCA uh, uh, teammates have, have been lifting him up in prayer, and so I just pray, Father, that you would touch his life, and Father, that you would uh, make a way where there seems to be no way. Comfort his parents, Jacob and Gina. I pray, Father, for uh, just your comfort, your grace, your mercy every day in their lives. And, Father, that you would just give them some good news. 
Father, that, that you would show the doctors uh, exactly what you are able to do, Father, uh, in times like these. I lift up uh, Gladys and Wayne Cobb. I pray, Father, that you would continue to uh, just give them the grace and the mercy that they need each day. I pray for peace for them. Uh, Father, I lift up our homebound and our nursing home residents. I pray that you would continue to be with them in a special way, Father, that your presence would be felt, that they would sense you uh, there in the room with them and guiding them and helping them. And Father, that you would just uh, minister to them as only you can. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to uh, to be there and to uh, minister to our homebound. Father, I want to thank you again for our worship time on Sunday. What a blessing it was just to see everybody and to be able to worship. I thank you for the visitors that were uh, in attendance. I pray that you would continue to draw men and women and sons and daughters to yourself. Uh, Father, I thank you for your guidance and for your provision. Um, You provide so much for us every single day. And God, you guide us. uh, Many times we, we don't even know what we've been saved from, but you know. And you're there working, protecting, guiding, and providing. Father, I just want to lift up our nation. I ask for you, O God, to heal our land. Father, I pray for reconciliation. I pray, Father, for unity. I ask God that you would not allow the enemy to divide our nation. I ask, Father, that you would preserve this great nation. Father, it was founded on your word, on your principles, and people want to tear it apart. But Father, I pray that you would continue to show yourself mighty. That Father, the things that unite us would be greater than the things that divide us. Father, that you would bring unity in the body of Christ. Father, among people groups. Father, among brothers and sisters that we would be a voice that the entire nation can hear, that we have are reconciled with others. And Father, that there is no, no barrier, there is no difference, there is no um, um, differences between us. But Father, that we are all united under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Father, serving Him for Your honor and for Your glory. Father, I pray that You would bring unity where there has been division, that you would bring peace where there's been chaos. Father, that you would push back the enemy in the darkness and the one who is stirring up the strife in our country. Guide our president, our leaders, to do the right things that honor you. I pray for that you would help those who honor you. Father, that you would bless those who serve you. Father, it is our great privilege to be called your children. So I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your word. I love your word, precept by precept. It just challenges me, but it helps me to grow. So Father, thank you for that. And I pray that you would help us to to all be in your word more, to know you better. Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts as we study your word and guide us. We're going to give you all the praise and glory and honor for everything that you do. We love you. 
And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, most of you would probably admit that (laughs) you're not highly motivated to learn about Melchizedek. You may be thinking, well, I've got marriage problems. I've got problems with my kids. I've got financial woes. I've got health problems and other personal and practical needs. Why in the world would you be interested in learning about some obscure figure from many centuries ago named Melchizedek? I mean, for crying out loud, Ridge, it's almost Father's Day. Give us a message that relates to fathers. See, I believe that learning about Melchizedek will help you to be a better father, to be a better mother or child or student or whatever role you are in. See, my main aim is to convince you that you do need to know about this this man. Today we're going to discuss the central chapter in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 7 is a critical section because it concerns the introduction of a better priesthood. No sacrifices were possible without a priest. Therefore, there was no forgiveness. And therefore, the priesthood was greatly revered by the Jews. This chapter is important because it deals with the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And to understand this, we need to put the chapter in its context. The Jewish Christians to whom this letter was addressed, were tempted to abandon their Christian faith and return to Judaism under the threat of persecution. Now, some of them had lost their property and had suffered public reproach on account of their faith. And they were thinking probably something like, well, hey, we didn't have it so bad as Jews. And the Jewish religion was a good system. It spelled out how we should live. The rituals were familiar and satisfying. It was the faith of our forefathers for many centuries. Maybe we should just go back to the way things were. (laughs) Kind of ironic, isn't it? Let's read in Hebrews chapter 7. I want to begin in verse 1, and I'm going to read down through verse 10. And if you have your scripture, just open it up and read along with me. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. God's word says this, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth of all the spoils was first of all, by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then also King of Salem, which is King of Peace. Verse 3. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days, excuse me, end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office 
have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So that's God's word. We're going to discuss that and unpack that some, and I'll do my best to explain it. And, uh, um, you know, this uh, Melchizedek, you know, kind of like, uh, just break down the chapter here, verses 1 through 3, kind of describe some of the characteristics of Melchizedek and in himself as depicted in Scripture. Verses 1 through 3 talks about those um, characteristics. And then in verses 4 through 10, it talks about his relation to Levi and his line. And when we talk about Levi, we're talking about the line of priests from the Old Testament, the line that came from Aaron, Levi, the sons of Levi. They were the Levites. They were, uh, by genealogy, they were the priests. So, The reason for all this talk about Christ's relation to Melchizedek is because the eternal superior priesthood of Jesus is our only hope for eternal salvation. The eternal superior priesthood of Jesus is our only hope of eternal salvation. See, God's wrath never changes. There is only one hope for sinners like us. We must have a faithful high priest who will intercede for us forever. We need a king of righteousness. We need a king of peace. We need someone without beginning and end. Someone who has an indestructible life and who will never die and never to be replaced. We need someone greater than Abraham and greater than Levi, something like Melchizedek who blessed Abraham and who received his tithes from Abraham, and in a sense, from Levi in Abraham. See, we need a new and greater priest, so much greater than verse 11 says there was no perfection through the Levitical priesthood. All the Old Testament priesthood could do was point to the one superior priest after the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110, verse 4, whose sacrifice of himself and whose eternal intercession would guarantee eternal salvation for all God's people. See, the writer of Hebrews proves the priesthood of Christ is superior to the priesthood of Aaron because Christ comes from the priesthood of Melchizedek and not from the Aaronic priesthood, not from the the line of Aaron. So Melchizedek is a type or a shadow of Christ, and Christ is the perfect substance or fulfillment of this Old Testament type. 
And with the coming of a new priesthood, the old priesthood and the Mosaic law from which the priesthood derived its authority has been done away with and supplanted or fulfilled by Christ himself. You know, this Melchizedek, he, you read in Genesis 14, and, and he brought out bread and wine to Abraham and refreshed him and his men and strengthened him, which is symbolic of Christ, who, as our high priest, gave his sinless body and shed his holy blood that we might have our sins forgiven. And today, we Christians memorialize Christ's death by observing the Lord's Supper at the Lord's table. And as I mentioned earlier, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper and worship this week. Adds a little significance there. A little more significance, I should say. Um, but Christ, he was the final king of righteousness and peace. And the order is significant, for there can never be peace without first having righteousness. A person must have Christ's righteousness before he can have Christ's peace. See, there is no peace with God until there is the receiving of Christ and his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then in Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this is a very interesting chapter. And uh, in verse 3, it says, you know, this Melchizedek, he was without father, without mother, without genealogy. Man, it's frustrating to trying to get an FBI background check on this mystery man. <laughs> he must have been a part of God's witness protection plan. Because if God hides you, you ain't finding him. And this guy was without father or mother or genealogy. You know, it says, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. So, let me just clear some things up here. Melchizedek is, was not an angel or some superhuman creature, nor was he any, excuse me, nor was he an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Melchizedek was a real man, a real king, a real priest in a real city. But as far as the record is concerned, he was not born, nor did he die. We don't have that recorded we don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went. He obtained his position not by genealogy. He wasn't born of the, Levit, of the Levites. He wasn't born of Aaron's line. But he, was, he obtained his position by divine appointment. In other words, not by earthly credentials. This is significant because he was a type of the Christ, the Messiah, to come. Okay? Neither Aaron nor any of his descendants could claim to be without genealogy. They had to prove their genealogy in order to serve. You know, to, <clears throat> to understand the pull of the past, we need to realize that religious traditions die hard. 
I mean, for over 20 years, Tracy and I have been involved in international mission work. And one thing that has repeatedly struck me as I've traveled and seen other parts of the world is just how strongly entrenched religious traditions are. I've seen a people group where many centuries ago, Islam took root and the culture is virtually totally Islamic. For hundreds of years, generations have lived and died without questioning the religious traditions. These false religions, views, they, these religious views that are false, they dominate their whole way of life. And when missionaries try to penetrate these cultures with the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, they meet with strong resistance because to accept the gospel would mean abandoning centuries of religious tradition. The author of Hebrews is trying to convince people that a religious system of sacrifices and rituals and rules that has been in place for over 1,400 years now had been replaced by a better way. He focuses on the supremacy of Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of all that was written by Moses and the Jewish prophets. He introduces a theme that is only preserved in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest. We will only appreciate our need for a high priest to the degree that we realize how holy and unapproachable God is and how sinful and defiled we are. You know, when Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on his throne, lofty and exalted, surrounded by the seraphim who called out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The prophet was undone. Oh, it it rocked his world. It devastated him because immediately he became aware of just how completely sinful he truly was. In contrast to God's awesome holiness. You know, Israel, in the wilderness, they had seen Moses go up to the mountain into the cloud with lightning and thunder and a loud trumpet sound, and they were terrified. If the people got too close to the mountain, God warned them that he would break forth upon them with a deadly plague. It's found in Exodus 19. The Jews knew that they could not just saunter into the the Holy of Holies to, to chat it up with God. Oh no, only the high priest could enter there and only once a year, with blood. See, the Jewish people knew how desperately they needed a high priest if they were to approach a holy, almighty God. See, the author of Hebrews is making the point that Jesus, praise God, is our high priest. But he's not just the fulfillment of the Levitical priesthood. He was something more. He is something more. A high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. See, to view him on par with the Levitical priest would be to make a spiritually fatal mistake. That entire old system was designed to point ahead to Jesus Christ. 
who superseded it and fulfilled it. To go back to the old way would be to abandon God's only way of entrance into His holy presence. It would be to turn away from the only one who can save us from our sins and to go back to an inferior system. So the author is saying here, you need to know who Melchizedek is because he is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and you desperately need to know about Christ. You desperately need to know about Jesus. So the author is picking up where he left off in chapter 5, verse 10, you know, before his digression. So he he digressed from 5.11 through 6.20. He goes on a tangent and talks about things, and he wanted to discuss the significance of Melchizedek, but he couldn't because these people had become dull of hearing. At a time when they should have been able to eat meat, they were still needing milk and, and, and acting like they didn't understand. So he wants them to understand Melchizedek, so they they had to gain a deeper understanding of so they could gain a deeper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. But listen, Jesus Christ does not reveal himself to those who are spiritually lazy or apathetic. Have you ever considered why Jesus did not do the transfiguration in front of the multitudes? In fact, he didn't even do it in front of the twelve. He only took with him Peter, James, and John to witness this astounding scene. See, but to the multitudes, Jesus concealed his glory and he spoke in parables because they were spiritually dull. He only reveals his glory to those with whom he is intimate. And he is only intimate with those whose hearts are humbled before him. And so as we approach these truths about Melchizedek, as a type of Christ, we must make sure that our hearts are right before God. Also, we must give some effort and attention to the matter of seeking to know him. The only command in our our text is, is in verse 4, and it says, Now observe how great this man was. (laughs) Observe how great this man was. And the the Greek word there for observe means to, um, to gaze at or to discern through careful observation. You know, we get the word theater from it. We are to observe Melchizedek because he is a type of Christ. And we desire to see the beauty and glory of Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, according to Colossians 2, verse 3. To see him as he is, is a transforming experience, 1 John 3, 2. See, the solution to every problem that you face is to know Jesus Christ more accurately, more intimately. Now the flow of thought runs like this in, in seven chapter seven verses one through three, the author identifies Melchizedek as both king and priest, without genealogy or end of days. In these ways he is made like the Son of God and remains a priest perpetually. 
Now, notice that the Son of God is not made like Him, but He is made like the Son of God, presented in Scripture in such a way that He points to the truth about the Son of God. Then in verses 4 through 7, the author shows that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, the father of the Jews and of all believers, in that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and he, and he Melchizedek, blessed Abraham. Now in verses 8 through 10, the author shows that Melchizedek was also greater than the Levitical priests and the system they represented in two ways. First, the Levitical priests were mortal but Melchizedek lives on. Secondly, Levi, who received tithes as a Levitical priest, actually paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham, his forefather, when he, Abraham, paid tithes to Melchizedek. So we can sum these points up under four headings that show how Melchizedek was a type of Jesus Christ. Melchizedek is a type of Christ in the dignity of his person. So everything we know about Melchizedek comes from Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20, Psalm 110, verse 4, and then Hebrews chapter 7. So these are the only three instances that Melchizedek is even mentioned in the whole Bible. Now the first text in Genesis 14 is historical. It it talks about what happened. The second is prophetic, and it's talking about what's going to happen. And the third is theological. It's talking about who he is in relation to Christ and the Godhead and all of that. So Melchizedek was the king of Salem, um, probably Jerusalem, and priest of the Most High God. You remember in Genesis 14, Abraham had gone after four kings that had taken his nephew Lot and his family captive when they raided Sodom, where Lot was living. And Abraham defeated these kings, recovering all of the goods that they took and brought back Lot and his family. And as Abraham returned from his battle, Melchizedek came up to meet him. He blessed Abraham, and Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of the spoils. Now, out of what seems like a very short account, and what that account says and does not say, the author of Hebrews draws some amazing parallels between Melchizedek and Christ. It is interesting that he omits what seems to be an obvious parallel, that Melchizedek met Abraham and he gave him uh, bread and wine to refresh his men. And you would think, well, that's clearly a type of Christ giving bread and wine to the disciples. In the original story, Melchizedek was bringing refreshment to Abraham and his weary men. But for some reason, the author of Hebrews passes over the easy parallel and focuses on some things that most of us would have missed. The first thing to note about Melchizedek is that he was both a king and a priest in the same person which was not allowed in Israel. You may be a king, or you may be a priest, but you could not be both at once. You know, John Calvin, in his works, he points out that this is remarkable, that Melchizedek lived with Sodom on one side, 
and the Canaanites on the other, and yet he was a righteous king and priest. This shows that God can raise up a godly witness for himself when and wherever he pleases. <laughs> like Melchizedek, Jesus is both king and priest in one person. See, the author makes the point in verse 2 that Melchizedek was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is the king of peace. In Hebrew, the word uh, Melki or Melech means my king, and Zedek means righteousness, so king of righteousness. Salem is related to Shalom, which means peace, but the order is also very significant, as I mentioned earlier. Righteousness comes before peace. A king cannot have true peace in his kingdom until he is both. He and his kingdom are both righteous. Sin, sin brings discord and strife. Righteousness is the foundation for peace. So Jesus is called Jesus Christ the righteous, 1 John 2, 1. He not only imputes and imparts righteousness to others, he is righteous in his very being. He never sinned, nor could any guilt be found in him. He is the Lamb of God, unblemished and spotless. He is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. He did no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. All of these things are said in Scripture about Jesus. When he comes again to reign <laughs> in righteousness, he will wage war against the wicked, according to Revelation 19, verse, uh, verse 11. With righteousness, he will, just, he will judge the poor, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Isaiah 11, 4 and 5 says, Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Isaiah 9, 7. Wow! But Jesus is also the king of peace. He brings peace between sinners and God and peace between all that live under his lordship. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5.1, he said, therefore, having been justified, that means declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, God did not lay aside his righteousness to make peace with sinners. Rather, he laid aside our penalty on he laid our penalty on his righteous substitute Romans 3:26 so says so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus <clears throat> excuse me if you know Jesus Christ as your king of righteousness and of peace, you will be growing 
in righteous behavior and you will be pursuing peace with others. See, I'm not talking about perfection, but rather I'm talking about direction. You will be growing in conformity to your king. I would say, secondly, that Melchizedek is also a type of Christ in the origin and the duration of his priesthood. Being a priest in Israel was totally dependent on your family lineage. All the priests came from the tribe of Levi. No one else needed to apply. If you could not establish your family heritage, you were excluded from the priesthood. But Melchizedek was without father, without mother, without genealogy, yet he was a priest of the Most High God. See, a few have interpreted Melchizedek's lack of genealogy in the next phrase that he had neither beginning of days nor end of life to mean that he was superhuman or an angel or something or a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. But the vast majority of commentators reject that interpretation and agree that Melchizedek was simply a great man who lived at the same time as Abraham. The author of Hebrews is building an argument from the strange silence of Genesis. I mean, that book emphasizes genealogies and the number of years that the patriarchs lived. In the midst of this emphasis, seemingly out of nowhere, comes this man Melchizedek. His family lineage is never mentioned, nor does Genesis say anything about the length of his life or about his death. The author is saying that the Holy Spirit deliberately omitted these facts from a book that emphasizes such things in order to make Melchizedek an appropriate type of Jesus Christ. That's why he says that Melchizedek was made like the Son of God. Rather than Jesus was made like Melchizedek, it's not that Melchizedek never died, but rather, in what Genesis omits, that he remains a priest perpetually. <clears throat> in other words, he lives on. He died as a man, he died. But he's, he's that type of Christ. It's a picture, it's, it's, it's a, a type of showing what Christ would be like. See, Jesus' human lineage is given in Scripture. But he did not come from the priestly tribe of Levi, but he came from the tribe of Judah. To be our high priest forever, Jesus had to be of a different priestly order, huh. namely that of Melchizedek. As the Son of God, that title is used deliberately in verse 3 here to focus on Jesus' deity, that Jesus is God. Jesus has no human lineage and thus fulfills the type of Melchizedek that is supported in Genesis. Also, the Levitical priests died and they had to be replaced, but Jesus lives on in his high priesthood. So both in the origin and the duration of his priesthood, Melchizedek is a type of Jesus Christ. Melchizedek is also a type of Jesus Christ in the measurement of his priesthood. Melchizedek was greater than both Abraham and Levi since he received tithes from both of these great men. Abraham spontaneously recognized that this man represented God Most High. 
And so to give him a tenth of his choicest spoils was an act of worship and gratitude toward God for granting him the victory over the four kings. Now Levi, follow this now, Levi, who was Abraham's great-grandson, gave tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham's tithes in that he was still in Abraham's loins when he took when this took place. See, in Hebrew thought, an ancestor contained in him all of his descendants. So Paul argues that when Adam sinned, the entire human race sinned. Romans 5.12 So here the author says, so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes from the Jews, actually paid tithes. Now some people, like A.W. Pink, Arthur Pink, use this text to argue that the principle of the tithe, you know, giving God 10%, transcends the law of Moses. But Abraham only did this on one recorded occasion, as did Jacob in Genesis 28. The New Testament letters never command believers to tithe even when addressed to Gentile congregations that would have needed such instruction. Rather, the New Testament principle is that God owns everything that we are and that we have, and that we are to give as He has prospered us. We are stewards of His resources, and we will give an account of what we have used them for to further His kingdom. But the point of the typology between Melchizedek and the Son of God is that since Melchizedek is receiving tithes from Abraham and Levi was greater than these great men, but Jesus is still greater. (laughs) As our high priest, he is worthy not just of a tithe, but all that we are and have because he bought us with his blood. No gifts that we give can compare to his matchless worth. So Melchizedek is a type of Christ in the dignity of his person, in the origin and duration of his priesthood, and in the measurement of his priesthood. But finally, I want to say this, that Melchizedek is a type of Christ in the dispensing of his priesthood. See, even though Abraham was God's chosen man, and God promised to bless the nations through him, Melchizedek blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. See, Scripture uses the term blessing in different ways, and in one sense, we bless God, Psalm 103, 1, which does not imply that we are greater than He is. We bless others by praying for them or rendering kind words or services, which is mutual. But here, the sense is that of the priestly or fatherly blessing, which was not mutual. The one imparting the blessing is conveying God's blessing through his authority onto the one being blessed. See, since Melchizedek's pronounced God's blessing on Abraham, he is greater than this great man, who had God's promises. Melchizedek is only a type of the one who is still greater, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And if a type of Christ is greater than he who has the promises, how much more is Christ himself greater? See, if Melchizedek could bless Abraham, how much more is the Son of God ready and able to bless those who draw near to God through him? See, if we want God's blessings, we should seek them in Christ. Because as many as are the promises of God, in him, in Jesus, they are yes. 2 Corinthians 1.20 What do you need from God? Eternal life? Yes! Forgiveness of sins? Yes! Internal peace? Yes! Hope? Yes! Joy in the midst of trials? Yes! Grace to endure? Yes! Victory over sin? Yes! Healing from your past wounds? Yes! Jesus is the perfect high priest who dispenses God's blessings to those who have his promises. Folks, draw near to him. Two short applications here, and I'm going to wrap this up. First, what you believe about Jesus Christ makes a huge difference. See, the Hebrews were in danger of falling away from faith because they did not grasp how great Melchizedek is, and therefore they did not grasp how much greater the one who Melchizedek prefigured is. The most important question in the world is Jesus' question to the twelve, Who do you say that I am? That question has an objectively true answer. Your eternal destiny hinges on your response to that question. If you correctly say from your heart by faith, Jesus Christ is the Son of God who gave himself on the cross as the only sacrifice for my sins, you have eternal life. If you diminish Jesus to a lesser role, such as, well, he's a good moral example, or he's just a teacher, or, or just a prophet, then you do not have the high priest that you need when you stand before God in judgment. See, any teaches any teaching that diminishes the supremacy, the number one, the, the top honor of Jesus Christ is false teaching. Secondly, I would say this. Seek God continually and fervently in His Word to give you a greater knowledge of the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul's lifelong quest as a believer was to count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Philippians 3.8 Let me paraphrase Samuel right out. It goes something like this. As we see the glories of Christ... Contrasted with the shadows of the law and everything that was connected with an earthly priesthood. And if our faith grabs hold of the reality of who Christ is, we would gladly give our goods and resources, 
but also our earthly hopes as well. Even all of the things that we hold so dear in this life. See, once Christ is truly grasped, taken hold of, and understood, and once we see His beautiful character as our High Priest, and the wonderful place into which He has taken us to, when these things are taken hold of by our souls, the other earthly and carnal things that hold our attention will drop off of us like leaves from a tree in the fall. So why do you need to know about Melchizedek? Because he is one gateway that God has provided to tell you about Jesus Christ. If you want to endure hardship and even persecution, if you want God's blessing on your family and in your personal life, if you want to resist temptation and live a righteous life, then seek God with a clearer vision of the glory of Jesus Christ. See, when we are enthralled with Him, it's like that hymn, the things of earth, will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So brothers and sisters, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. You know, next week we're going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. And until then, I just want to say stay safe and practice good hygiene. Stay studied up in God's Word. Eat well. Get some exercise. And whatever you do, give God all the glory and the praise and honor that is due His name. And we hope to see you all very soon. God bless you.